Hello, welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Gino and I are together today with special guest Paul Vodder from Wisconsin. And so we're looking forward to hearing from him. Our church prays for him regularly, so it's a good opportunity for us to hear from him, get to know him a little bit, uh, to understand who we're praying for and, and put a name with a prayer request and a voice with a prayer request. And since this podcast is not on YouTube, uh, no face with a with it. So, all right. Well, Anthony, thanks for your hard work here. Let's have you bring us in. Welcome back. Good to be here. Good to be in the studio. Yep. So, June and I, this morning, uh, we had the luxury of having a goal-oriented leadership function where yep. we that was great. Yep. Outlined some important details. So, yes. Uh, but here we are in a live studio audience in front of Kyla's Christmas tree, uh, which was set up before Thanksgiving uh, for the second year in a row. So, um, I guess I've turned over a new leaf in terms of being comfortable with this, but. Uh, great to have Paul in studio. Well, not in studio, but on the phone. And so, Paul, welcome. Glad that you're joining us today. Yeah, hi, guys. Thanks. Appreciate the invitation. Yeah. Uh, well, we're looking forward to hearing from you. It's kind of interesting because uh, people that know me personally know I have this, like, love-hate relationship with social media in that uh, I regularly am like, okay, do I want to keep still doing this? Do I not want to do this? And at some point I was like, you know, I'm really done with Twitter. Like Twitter and I don't get along. I'm not a 120 character kind of guy or 220 or 240 or whatever it is. And I was like, also, I'm not really paying attention to a lot of the like hashtag stuff. And uh, I think sometimes I, I tend to post on things I'm thinking about a lot. And uh, so the algorithm bought, brought Paul and I together. And oh. so I was always encouraged by his tweets and, and hopefully I uh, encouraged him or. Yeah. 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 So it was good. So we met that way. And before I left Twitter, I was like, Hey Paul, I'm headed out and we exchanged phone numbers. and It's been great. Hmm. Sometimes the algorithm is right. Yes. It was yeah. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. So Paul, welcome. Um, you're up in Wisconsin. Uh, help us out. Maybe give us uh, the, the bio of your life a little bit. Yep. Is it Wisconsin? Yeah, so I, uh, what's that? I'm out. Well, is it Wisconsin or Wisconsin? I don't know. Sometimes. <laughs> well, it's with an I, not an E. I'm okay. going to get that wrong. It's okay. Wisconsin, but it's, it's Wisconsin. But, uh, All right. I don't know. Um, no, I, I, I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, and, um, uh, really spent most of my life here. My dad uh, was a pastor um, for, I don't know, 50 years or something like that. Uh, he was my pastor when I was growing up, so that was a blessing. Um, and so for me, you know, I was um, pointed to Christ from the time I was I was born. My parents, you know, talked to us about the Lord all the time. And, and uh, so that was a, a real blessing for me, having grown up in the church and hearing the word of God, becoming a Christian. In fact, I was, I was saved when I was um, really young, uh, just, just before I turned four years old. So I was really a little, well, not little, but I was a young child. 
Um, and, um, so I just kind of grew up always having, you know, relationship with the Lord and seeing that in my life, having my family around me as Christians, my, um, my siblings are all believers, all of them faithfully serving the Lord. Um, and, uh, and my folks still too, after like I said, dad, dad pastored for over 50 years, um, or around there, uh, semi-retired now, I guess. Um, but he still does, does some ministry. Um, and uh, so that's been a real blessing. So then, um, I grew up, went to Bible college here in Wisconsin, actually, at Maranatha Baptist University. Um, there's a small Bible college here in Wisconsin. And, uh, I, uh, graduated from there, became a school teacher, um, did that for a number of years, met my wife, we got married, um, started a family, kind of moved around Pennsylvania, Illinois, ended up in New Mexico. Um, and it was, uh, it was there, we were in New Mexico and I, I was working on my master's degree through seminary, uh, actually online, but through seminary here in Wisconsin. And, um, and the Lord really began to work in my heart to give me a desire to serve as a pastor, serve, serve the church in that way. Um, and so that kind of started me thinking about that process of how does, how does a guy become a pastor? What, what steps does he take uh, to do that? And, and, you know, what, I was already getting some theological training and, um, and I was just very much involved already in our church there in New Mexico. Um, and then we happened to come out here on vacation. Um, and, uh, the church that I'm currently serving at was without a pastor at the time and they were looking for a pastor. And I came just to preach one time and fill the pulpit for them. Um, and they must have liked me. So they asked me to come back and, uh, and then they asked me to be the pastor. So 2011, uh, I became the pastor here uh, at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. So we're in the southeastern part of the state, close to the Illinois border, but still in Wisconsin. And uh, and I've been here ever since. Um, I don't know what else you want to know. Oh, I guess <laughs> um, I could share with you about, about my family. That'd be good. I've got five kids. God has blessed um, my wife and I tremendously. Her name is Pauletta, by the way. It's like Paul and Pauletta. People always, um, always are puzzled by that, but um, we didn't plan that or anything. Um, but we're, uh, but yeah, God has blessed us with five kids. And um, so I just, you know, they're a big part of our life and ministry here, um, being a part of the church and serving. And um, obviously, they take up a lot of my time. Was that a was that a church revitalization situation, or was it just kind of um, uh, it's been around for like decades or generations? Well, so you know, one thing I've learned is that um, really every church is in need of revitalization um, in, in some way, right? Yeah. Because we're we we always have to be evaluating whether we're on mission, whether we're actually accomplishing what it is God has called us to do as a church. And so we always need to be, um, you know, have that kind of revitalization attitude of, you know, evaluation, uh, you know, make changes, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this, this church had been, uh, had been around since the 1960s it was started. Um, and, uh, but, and it, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder I guess to explain outside, you know, every every place is different. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know much about Vegas because I've only been there once. Um, 
but you know Wisconsin is a very different place when it comes to you know evangelical Christianity. Um, Wisconsin is very predominantly Catholic and Lutheran, um, just because of the immigrate you know, immigrants that originally settled here. And so being a Baptist in Wisconsin is like, you know, people tend to think we're a cult. <laughs> um, and I don't know, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe that's fair. I'm not sure. Mm. But uh, at least in some people's minds, some people but, um, but really, that, that's, that's what, how we're perceived. But so as, as a result of that, you know, I think, it, you know, when we came here to the church, um, you know, the church is a very stable church as far as that goes. But over the years, a lot of ups and downs and you know, a lot of history in the community. It's a fairly small community. So that, you know, that means that, you know, uh, a church has been here for several decades. People tend to know you and have an opinion about you, mm. um, whether that's good or bad. Uh, and so, you know, we, we just, we've had to do a lot of work to try to, to try to really get into the community, to try to develop our relationship and get to know people so we can be a part of the community. Um, and then, you know, really try to see how, how we can minister here in this place, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'm not really answering your question very well. I don't know. I kind of wander a little bit on rabbit trails, but, um, I think it, I think in some ways revitalization, um, I don't think that the people when I came here would have thought that was necessary. I think they would have thought, Hey, things are going along just fine and everything. But I do think that, you know, God brought us here uh, to be able to, to help, you know, lead this ministry and, and really kind of bring people out into the community a little bit more and try to yeah. try to bring some new life to this church. Not that we did that, but right. that God brought us here. Well, I, 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 I agree with you there. I think, um, you know, maybe not, maybe revitalization is not the right word. I think the sentiment in the Reformation is that you're always reforming, right? You're, right. you're, never, you're never comfortable where you're at. You're always learning, you're always growing in Christ, um, assessing, you know, why you do what you do. And I think, I think that's healthy actually. And I, I think for yeah. Cornerstone, at least for us, I feel like every year, uh, Jason's really good about that, th- throwing a monkey wrench into the, uh, into the normal plans, everyday plans that we have. And one of our elders, Romeo, loves that. So <laughs> I think it, I think it surprises people. I mean, I don't, maybe it doesn't, I, I, I suppose I shouldn't speak for them, but I, I guess I, I think it surprises people in the church when they find out that I'm, growing and changing, you know, as a, as a pastor. And even in, you know, as I'm developing and, 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 you know, yeah. sometimes the things that I, I thought before, the way I would have done something before, I, I wouldn't do that now, you know, and here we are 12 years in, you know, well, then I might do things differently now than I did when I first came. And mm-hmm. um, cause I didn't have anything figured out. <laughs> you know, and yeah. Not that I, not that I do now, but even like you said, I, it's, it's just a constant growth. So we're constantly trying to, to, to grow in our understanding of the truth and our application of the truth. Uh, and so for me, coming into an established church meant that there's this whole tradition, you know, there's a whole momentum, institutional momentum here. Um, it's not a big church. Um, we have, you know, really just a small church, but at the same time, you know, we've got a 50, 50 some, you know, 58 year, 57 year history at this point. Um, you know, that, that brings with it quite a bit of, of inertia. Yeah. And so there's a tendency to just kind of fall back into just do things the way we've always done them. And we can just do that forever. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I find 
one, as I as I'm growing, I, I have I'm not satisfied with that. Like I'm not satisfied with doing things just the way they've always been because I'm God's showing me new things. He's He's teaching me. He, you know, he's, I'm growing, and so I want to reflect. You know, I want to reflect that in my ministry, but then also the church needs to do that. You know, mm-hmm. needs to grow and needs to reflect that that change over time and not just fall back on the tradition of what we've done before. You know, I think that's a that's a really big point there, Paul, um, because. Like when I, when I first got saved, you, you kind of look at a church and you can almost, you almost kind of buy into this, like, well, that's what we've always done. And, or, you know, cause, because maybe I wasn't in the best church early in my salvation. And so I ended up relying on a lot of internet guys. And in my mind, they were, you know, you don't realize that the internet guys are the internet guys cause they're, they're they're very polished and refined, right? Right. But you don't realize when you're not a part of the church that that churches are actually changing organisms because the leadership's growing, learning, right? Like you're a different person than you were 12 years ago. I'm a different person than I was 12 years ago. But yet there's some things that you, right, for 12 years you preach the word every Sunday, you pray for your people. So there's some similarity, but I wonder how much of that is like, do we realize, hey, your leaders are going to change and develop? Mm. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, don't. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. No, no, please. No, I was just because we, in the pre-discussion, you talked about preaching through the Psalms and that, how that kind of changed you. I know for Jason, preaching through Matthew was, uh, was, was ministry like, like enlightening uh, in so many ways. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Well, it's funny because, you know, like you said, you just, it's, it's the word of God, right? That changes you. So, I mean, I'm coming to scripture and I always feel like after, um, you know, I, I have the, like the best um, job. I hate even using that word, but I have the best job in the world that I get to study God's word um, to, to prepare to preach and teach. And, and that's the, that's what I get to spend the majority of my time doing, which is really pretty awesome. And yeah, obviously that ends up changing me more than anything else, I think. Um, and then I almost feel like the church gets just whatever is the overflow of that. Um, so as I come, you know, as I'm studying the scriptures and it just, that's the stuff that really is, is life changing to me. Um, but what I've found, and this has been this has really been ongoing for several years for me personally, is really just as the more that I'm studying, the more I become aware of my own traditions and how how um, easy it is just to kind of be married to those traditions. And I began to realize that some of those things that I just assumed were you know the way things should be done were just my tradition and really trying to unravel that and, and come back to scripture and just make, let scripture be the, be the thing that guides me. Let scripture be the thing that really controls my thinking. Um, and that's been, that's been a, 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 an interesting and a challenging process in some ways for me. And I think for the church too, is to try to help kind of work through some of that and understand. Yeah. Maybe I, the. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I just I almost haven't unlearned some things that we've mm. developed in our culture because it's, this is our church culture of who we are, but it's become tradition. And it wasn't 
not that it was a bad thing, but it was a choice we made at some point, and it became a tradition, and all of a sudden now we can't go against the tradition. Yeah. And so I feel like sometimes I have to intentionally push against that. And yeah. that's not comfortable, but that's something I feel like I have to do. But but again, because I'm at the end of the day, I'm really trying to be as explicit as possible. Yeah, I think this is more normal, too. Um, th- you, there's only so much you can actually do in seminary. I mean, you grew up in a pastor's home, um, but you know that just because you grew up in a pastor's home doesn't mean you understand your dad's job. Um, and it, you know, like, like I know my kids are going to have stories about sitting in the car an hour and a half after church, you know, waiting on dad to quit talking that, that will be kind of unique. Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) It's like all pastors, kids, they, they kind of can, they can fit in together because they all have these shared similarities and, but that doesn't mean my kids understand baptism the way we do the Lord's supper. And I mean, I don't know what seminary was like for you, but when I left seminary, I didn't have a more refined view of, I would say, half of the things the church is responsible for. And that, that doesn't, I'm not blaming the seminary. You just, it takes time to like, right, to, to study, to learn. Uh, every issue has layers of, you know, one question opens the door to six more questions. Right. And so I think that's, um, you know, almost like if you were, you know, if you're listening in and you're like, kind of like, what's that mean for me in a church who's not a pastor? I almost would say you, you actually should be expecting your pastor to grow and develop and to change. Mm. And ideally you should be able to see the change and go, Oh, I see where he's getting that from the text. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Even if I disagree, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. It's funny for me because growing up, my dad was a pastor. So it was, you know, when you're a kid, you you have the tendency to look at your parents and be like, well, they just, they know what they're doing. They know what's going on. Um, like they, they, they've got a book about it somewhere or they read, you know, like they, they, you just assume that, oh, they're, of course they know how to parent because they're parents. So they would know, you know, and things like that. And then you become a parent and you realize, man, I like, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. And <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I guess mom and dad probably didn't really either. And and in some ways, it's a similar, you know, I look back and now and I realize, okay, my dad, all those years that I was growing up, he was growing. And I didn't see it because I, you know, I didn't have the perspective to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look back and realize, yeah, there is. And it's, that's been one of the, actually for me, one of the best things about this ministry where I'm at here in Wisconsin, because my folks still live in Wisconsin and um, up until just a couple of years ago, dad was the director of our state fellowship. So we have a Baptist fellowship here in the state, about 110 churches across the state. And dad was the director of that fellowship for almost 20 years. And so I got to come here and then work with him because he was in the fellowship, visiting the churches, ministering to the churches. And my church was one of those. So we got to be a part of that and just to, you know, have him here, have him ministering to us. But, um, it was, it, it really gave me some really good opportunities to talk to him about things and to see areas that he had grown and where he would admit, he would say, man, I, you know, this is, this is how God has changed me. This is how God's word is, you know, and I, and I've, I've learned to think differently. I've matured and I'm thinking about some things. And, uh, you know, when you, when you find that your dad, who you thought was this rock who never changed because you're, you're, you're a kid, you don't, you just think he's always there. Like he's always had it figured out. Um, then you come to realize, no, he was actually growing and changing 
still is. And so for me, that that's been really neat to see that because it's, it's helpful. Um, just even to almost give me permission to recognize, yeah, I, I'm, I need to embrace that. That as a pastor, I don't have to have everything figured out. I don't have to have all the answers. Um, my people, you know, the church, they've got needs and concerns, and I want to help them and I want to serve them. But I, you know, I'm, I may, five years from now, I may look at a situation very differently than I do now, just because God is, is still, you know, is continuing to work in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you do that with your kids. I, I found sometimes like, you know, especially most likely the oldest is going to point out any changes in my parenting because <laughs> right, one, he's the right. oldest and, and two, he's, you know, he's getting that point where he's observing on those things. But I think even the things you're talking about, right, it's not just for pastors, it's for us parents. Like I now right. feel comfortable saying to him, yeah, I did it differently five years ago. And you know what? Um, I've learned a lot and I've decided that this is a better way for now to deal with things. Yeah. And you yeah, know, I had, yeah, no, I was going to say I had, I had, have had that conversation with my son who's 16, um, more than once where he's complained about, well, you know, how come you're doing this? I never get to do that. And, um, and I've just told him, man, you know, you need to understand, like I am learning. And I'm growing. And you know what? Maybe we didn't, you know, and I can even admit, we, I, I didn't always do things the right way, right? I've, I've failed. I've, I've not always done what I ought to do. And so just being able to tell him that and hope that he begins to understand and, and accept some of that, you know, yeah. um, and just say, hey, you know, I'm, you got to understand something here. I'm not, I, I never, I never would have claimed that I always had all the answers and had it all figured out. Mm-hmm. But, that's why I'm doing things different. That's why we're, we're taking on a different approach with your younger siblings than we had with you in some way, because we've learned, we've, we've grown. And yeah, I don't you know, know. I don't know who said this, but um, I, 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 I've heard this recently. I've been saying it to other parents, but it's, it, I think it's accurate. Uh, all of our kids have different parents. <laughs> and I think that's so true oh. because, you know, our, our, like you said, the oldest had a different experience, different. Uh, this, the next one had a different experience. And that that's so true because of, of the change that happens in, in our growth. And it's not very much different with the church, too. Even I think, you know, people that have yeah. been with us the longest um, have probably seen our leadership change over the years, hopefully for the better. Right. Uh, hopefully we're all. Yeah, I would say that here. That's that that was that's exactly what I would say because, um, you know I, I yeah the people who've been here for a while yeah they should they should have seen some things that are different. Uh, sometimes there's some I, I I get some you know I get definitely have some conversations where I get some pushback on it and I I have to say you know I, I have to try to point that out that you know this isn't this is you you can't ask you can't necessarily compare what we're, what we're doing today to what we did five or 10 years ago um, because I'm different, but so is the church. I mean, that's the other thing I've found as a pastor is the church is constantly changing. Mm. And I, I laugh with this because I think, okay, I preached through the gospel of Mark when I first came here and out of the people, the people that are here right now, really only a handful of them, little, you know, a, a small, a small number of them heard those messages. And, so most of the people that are here never heard those messages. So, you know, that was 12 years ago. So I'm thinking, you know, 
it's easy for me to think, well, I, I, yeah, I preach the gospel of Mark. But most of the people who are in the church on Sunday never heard that. So it's a different church. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's a different makeup. And then obviously the people themselves have changed. Um, and that's one, you know, for me, that's one of the, one of the, the joys of being a pastor. And I, 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 um, you know, I've seen a lot of guys who kind of use churches almost as stepping stones, you know, trying to find a bigger and better ministry or whatever. I don't know. Um, I mean, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say that because I don't know their motives. I can't judge them, but it seems that way looking at things from the outside that some guys will move from one place to another, almost as if they're just trying to, trying to get, get ahead. Um, but for me, several years ago, I, I really looked at this church and just committed to the Lord and said, you know, I, I'd love to just stay here and be here with these people and whatever happens, you know, whatever happens to this church, whatever, it doesn't matter. This church stays in a small, you know, a, a small church and it's just this tiny family group that we've got. That's, that's great. And if you choose to, you know, to grow and it gets bigger that's fine too but i want to i want to just be with these people i want to be here i want to serve them i want to do life alongside them and you know be a part of their of, of their christian walk and just be be that shepherd that's that's what my heart is that's what i want to do so to me that's been kind of neat but it's it is it's a whole process of change because that's the goal right it's i want to walk with them as they go through life as god continues to transform um and then you know, he's doing the same thing to me. So, you know, maybe, maybe there's some pushback or not pushback, but maybe, maybe some people here, you know, I've been around long enough that, that people are afraid of change because what they're afraid of is change unearthing the, the faithfulness of, you know, your faithfulness. Mm -hmm. So, and, and to be fair, I've, I mean, I've seen, right. And you've seen, and we've all seen those churches that make changes and you feel like they went from preaching a gospel and were more word centered to, to less word, more stories, music changes, you know, so sometimes I understand why people are afraid of change, but with wisdom, right? You have to kind of change because your people are changing. Your situations are changing. And that doesn't mean you're, you're never advocating your responsibilities. You're just, Hey, as the things I've learned in life, I've learned that, you know, like for me, going back to Matthew 19 and the role of grace and the day laborers, like that was, that was like dropping a 10 ton brick in my lap of, Hey, your ministry needs to reflect this kind of grace more so than probably anything else that it's like, this needs to be a, one of the big rocks in the foundation of how you do ministry. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So those changes, like they're not bad. They're, that's actually wise it's wise to change. You, you might say that churches start to kill themselves if they demand that there be no change. Cause in a way they're saying, no, let's, let's mm. keep like, let's stay here in the 1974. And you're like, but, but yeah. you can't, you can stay faithful to the responsibilities, but you can't necessarily, you're going to have to change because mm -hmm. your people are changing. You're like, you just can't avoid change. You know what I mean? I think part of it is yeah. um, finding their identity in like, the tradition versus like the actual core values and priorities of the scripture. If we're being honest, right? Like, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so yeah, I mean, go ahead, go ahead, Paul. No, for me, like I grew up in, um, 
really in the you know, independent fundamental Baptist movement. Okay. Mm. But, and Jason and I've chatted a little bit about this, uh, you know, through text sometimes, but, um, my heritage really comes from the, the Northern Baptist convention and the Northern Baptist fundamentalism, which was different in a lot of ways from what kind of came about from the South. So people who don't know, uh, the, the history and don't really read up very much on it tend to think it, think of it all as one thing. But there are some, I think, some pretty, pretty distinct differences. Um, but one of the things that's similar, and this is probably true in every in every kind of church tradition or whatever, is that you you do you begin to see these kind of external markers as being the things that really matter. And so, um, you know, it's it's you know the 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 dress code. Well, what do we you know what do we wear when we come to church? And how is our hair going to be cut? And what is the music going to sound like? And what are we going to and and so there's all of these kind of traditions that develop and those things become the standard. So we know, hey, this is a good church because, hey, they, the, the pastor wears a suit and tie when he preaches. And we know this is a good church because they use the right Bible version. We know this is the right church or a good church because the music is good. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's what we accept. And instead of really evaluating what is the ministry of this church? Mm. You know, are they are they really preaching the gospel? And I'm convinced that the gospel is. And you, you, I mean, Jason. Again, you mentioned it just a minute ago that, that the gospel is all about grace. Um, it's it's radical in the sense that it it shames us because we 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 want we are so determined to try to earn our way, and God absolutely refuses to 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 even you know, even consider that possibility. It's not an option. Um, we have to humble ourselves and receive grace, and that's it. And so, you know, in, in the tradition I grew up in, you know, it, it, there was a tendency, I think, to look at external things and kind of measure how everybody's doing based on external things. And we know all these churches are okay, all these people are okay because they, they kind of look like us and they act like us and they have the same kind of traditions we do. And that's been really interesting for me as I became a pastor, because I wanted to push back on some of that, not just in my own local congregation, but even as we fellowship with other churches and we have interaction with other churches, I wanted to kind of push a little bit um, on some of that. And I, and I wanted to see that attitude go away because I don't want there to be this, this sense that, well, we're all okay because we have all the external stuff right and we all are conformed to the same external model. And therefore, that's what makes us all together. You know, that's what brings us together as churches or as fellow, you know, as Christians. But the truth is, what brings us together is, is the gospel of grace. Mm. And that's what, that's what unites us, whether it's in a local church or frankly, I mean, that's what, you know, that, I, I think this is maybe my, my rendition of how Jason and I met. That, that's what I would say is what I, what I saw on Twitter in our interactions was, your commitment to God's grace rather than, you know, the, the constant like social media outrage, whatever's the latest thing we're supposed to be all ticked off about. Um, but, you know, let's just keep, let, let's, let's continue to focus on what really matters in, in ministry and life, which is the grace of God and how it changes. People. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I always think like, man, the banquet table, there's going to be people there that we probably would have felt uncomfortable being in that person's church, 
but it's yeah. amazing when we're at that banquet table, we will not feel uncomfortable that they're, that they are there. Right. In fact, we'll be like, wow, right. like, I'm here with these people. Like it's good. You know, like the sanctified glorified perspective is going to be one of rejoicing and thanksgiving that, yeah. Hey, is, is it okay? Like that the church down the street has slightly different music than you. Yeah. It's actually okay. You know, like it's not, you know, and it's okay that you well, don't prefer it. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's kind of, that's been an area that even within, like, like I said, I grew up here in Wisconsin. I grew up in a Baptist church, right? Independent fundamental Baptist church. That was, I don't think it was on our sign, but that was, well, maybe it was, I don't remember, but, um, but I mean, that was, it was certainly a badge that we wore. Like we were not, we were not afraid to tell people that we were fundamentalists. Okay. Um, and I know that some people are really, get really like weirded out by that, but, um, but that was the tradition that I grew up in. Like we, we, this is who we were. We were, we were fundamental um, in the historical sense of the term. We knew what that meant, and we believed that. And uh, you know, so, so that, that was significant. But um, I think that that when I became a pastor and I began to be involved here, not only at our church but then in our statewide fellowship, I really wanted to try to. Um, lead the way in in you know being able to say listen we're gonna we're not gonna focus on all these external things but we're gonna really try to focus on on what really what really does unite us here um and i was actually surprised this is this is maybe to my shame but i was surprised at the positive reception that i've received and that you know in my my experience my exposure here to churches that that even today would gladly call themselves independent fundamental Baptist churches that by and large, that has been the, the attitude of, of the guys that I've met and gotten to know the pastors that I've served, that I've worked with, that I've gotten to know and the other people from the churches that I met, you know, vast majority of them, that's been their attitude is, Hey, we're not so much focused on all these external things. We understand that those things aren't really what matter. Um, you know, we're, we really are about the gospel. We want to see people's life changed, you know, through that. And so, even within, even within our kind of state fellowship, there's there's, you know, uh, in some ways a surprising amount of diversity. Even while they're, they're, I mean, we don't have any baby baptizers in there or anything like that. But, um, you know, it is Baptist after all. But mm-hmm. there, but there's still, you know, I think just just trying to kind of keep that in mind, like you said, it just because somebody does something differently than me doesn't doesn't mean that they have to be kicked out of the kingdom and they don't even have to be kicked out of my fellowship. <laughs> right. Um, you know, obviously there may be lines, there may be certain points where they go, you know what, for ministry purposes, we're not going to probably be able to work together very closely here, here, down here, but you're right. Then when we're, we're with the Lord, um, that stuff isn't, isn't going to matter at that point. Right. I, I do think when you're dealing with believers, and you kind of put a focus on Christ and the gospel. Like there is a natural, like it's amazing how that almost puts life into focus correctly in the sense to where you start to realize, hey, my preferences don't really matter, um, you know, because the gospel matters. And it's interesting how, you know, even when you, you know, because I'm imagining those conversations, right, with people that you know aren't necessarily like-minded uh, at the preference level but you start to mention Christ and the gospel. And it's interesting how everyone quickly be kind of can focus on the same thing together with almost a laser beam focus and go, yeah, you know what? These, these preferences don't matter. Like, like the gospel matters. And, 
and we're in this together for these things. And so it's always interesting to see how, right, even in your local church, you preach the gospel and you hope it's the gospel that unifies everyone in the church, not anything else within the culture of your church, you know, because each church kind of has their own culture. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned something earlier, though. I want to kind of go back to your parenting, uh, if you don't mind, um, and kind of this like, hey, we, we grow, we learn, we develop. Um, have you, have you found some of your counsel towards parents with, you know, young parents with young kids changing a little bit based on the things you've learned? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, I would say probably, um, just in a sense of, I'm, I, I hope I'm a little more humble now than I would have been. Right. Um, because it's funny, I when I talk to some parents, you know, more recently who've got younger kids than I do, and these kids, you know, they're struggling with, you know, dealing with things with their kids, and I, I'm surprised at how many times I think the answer that first comes to my mind doesn't work. It's not the right answer, right? So I, and so I'm kind of forced to, to admit that I don't have it. I don't. I don't. I don't have like the one solution that just works that you can do with all the kids and it just works, you know? Um, so that's been something for me. I think that has really, has really changed. Um, because I think I would have said before, I, not consciously, I would, think, I would have, I would have very piously tried to say I didn't know everything, but, um, I probably would have acted much more as if I, I knew if you just did it, if you just did what I would, what, what I think you should do, then this will work. Right. Um, that would be that would have that that would have been the trap I would have easily fallen into, and I, I mean I may still I'm not saying I'm immune to that, but um, but definitely I've learned that, that it's much more complex than we think it is. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I I think that's yeah with parenting it's you know and I don't know if it was the culture we were in when we had young kids, there was almost like a playbook that everybody was. I don't want to say expected, but it was definitely the, the cultural wisdom playbook. And I kind of look back on that and go, you know what? Like we realized with kid number two, that he wasn't the same as kid number one. And so we couldn't do the same things for kid number two that we did for number one. Uh, and so it was almost like you had to like go, you, I kind of felt like I had to go with the tide. You know what I mean? I kind of had like, okay, I, I can't try to force him into this, into this circle because he's a square. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that, and then also I think understanding grace has kind of changed like my parenting a little bit, you know, because well, I, yeah. For, yeah, no, I absolutely. Like for me, a couple of things that really come to my mind with respect to that. first is, um, I, I am absolutely blown away when I, when I look at my own life, when I look at my own failures, my own weaknesses, which those, you know, a lot of days, those are the things that tend to crowd on everything else. So that's all I can think about. But when I, when I do that, I'm amazed that God still loves me. I'm amazed that he still, um, you know, I'm amazed at his, his, his patience and his long suffering. And then as a parent, I stop and I think about that and I think, okay, well, 
I have to be gracious. I, I have to, I have to learn to take some part of that grace that God has shown me and show that to my kids. Mm. Because I want to look at my kids and say, just do right. What are you thinking? You know, you know mm. better. And, and, and how many times have I told you? And I want to say all the cliches. And then I stop and I think, wait, but, but God could say all of those things to me. And he doesn't. Instead, he, he says, you know, he says in the Psalms that he knows my frame. He knows that I am, I am only dust. And I, I have to come back to that all the time. Hmm. Because, God, you know, you know what I'm made of. Uh, that I'm just dust. And, and so I, I really, I really try, and I'm sure my kids would probably, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't let them listen to this, but I'm sure my kids will probably disagree with this, right? And say, or at least say that I don't do a good job. But I really do try to, to, to bear that in mind with my kids. And that's something that I think has grown over the years. Um, because when we were first starting out and the kids were little, um, you know, it was very easy to just be, very rigid and say, Hey, this is how it's got to be. This is what we do. And this is what it's got to be. And, um, but I'm just so thankful to God isn't like that. It's, yeah. A hundred percent. And that's one thing I, I know I said there were two things and that was one thing and I forget the second thing. So I don't mm. know, but yeah, that's, that's common dad right there. I forgot kids. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that's like, you know, cause you're, you're quickly, I think I kind of look back and go, you know, you, you actually, maybe as a young parent, you hear older parents say things like, if you do this, then this will happen. And I think what I constantly keep finding out is one, that's not necessarily how the Lord leads us kind of going back to what you're saying. Um, and two, you can't, you can't actually produce the kind of kid you think you, you don't get to produce your kid. You know what I mean? Like you can, you try to influence and shape and direct, but at the end of the day, that's that's kind of really something between the kid and the parent, or the kid between the kid and the Lord, um, yeah. you know. And so again, not neglect, not you know. Obviously, somebody would be like, "Well, you can't just throw your hands up." Yeah, of course not. I'm not talking about just throwing your hand up and and not trying to be influential and encourage and and train and equip. We're not talking about that. But but there is a part of me that goes, you know, I look back and you go, um, you know, if your kid, if you know, if you're like if your wife's like, Hey, can, can the kids sleep in the bedroom tonight with us? You know what? Like be gracious. Like, Hey, you know what? That's probably okay. That that's not going to, you know, one random night's not going to produce a, you know, a feminine male. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, and I, I, I think I remember, I remember the other thing I was going to say, and it goes along. I think it's kind of thinking about this because I, I'm, I'm actually preparing to, to, teach a class on parenting here at the church. We're probably another week or so away from starting. I don't know exactly yet, but um, I'm working on trying to develop it. And so in, in preparation for that, I sat down and I started reading some books on parenting. And I had to admit that I, I don't think I had ever actually read any books on parenting before. So I've got five kids. My oldest is 16. Uh, my youngest is six. So I, and yet I don't think I ever read a book about parenting. And, um, but what do we did, And I, and I, what, what, what we did and what we've done with our kids is we just try to instill in them the truth of the word of God. Yep. And we try to just teach them the scriptures and teach them the word. And, 
and and trust that God would use His Word in them, and, and that He would show them, and, you know, draw them to Himself, and and uh, so, you know, our our parenting book for the last sixteen years has been God's Word. And I don't say that in kind of a pious way. I just mean, really, I wasn't reading other books. I wasn't looking for other insights. Um, I really was operating with some really basic principles, which is that, you know, I, I wanted my kids to, I wanted my kids to respect and honor God. And, you know, I wanted them to come to know him and love him. And that's my prayer for them. And that's how I approach that, you know, is I try to keep that in mind. And, and then that then directs me and how I'm acting toward my kids. And the rules we establish in our home, and the principles and the procedures that we follow, and the things that we've done. We we started homeschooling, so we've been homeschooling now for a number of years. And again, it's the same in a lot of ways, the same thought. Like it's it's just a part of this process of what we think. You know, how, how does God and His Word direct us? Um, and then I'm just trying to take that to my kids and show that to my kids. And and so I, you know, I think. That's where I really do. I really try to look at how God relates to me and try to understand that and then try to have, try to develop that, you know, with, with my kids. Um, and God doesn't, you know, this is, this comes back to the, to the church, to ministry in the church too, because I always tell people this, that we don't, we don't have a cookie cutter here when it comes to making a disciple in the church. Mm-hmm. So it's not about, well, here, let me show you what you should look like. Let me tell you what you're supposed to, how you're supposed to dress. Let me tell you how you're supposed to talk or act. No, what we need to do is we need to bring people to the Word of God, and we need to we need to spend time in the Word with them, meditating on Scripture, and then let let God do that. Let let the Holy Spirit take them and make them what He will. And I don't know what that's going to look like. That may look very different from what I'm used to, right. in some ways, because God's going to do that with them based on who they are. And, and their unique person, you know, and, and, his, and his purpose for them. And I, so as a result, you know, yeah, there's, there's commonalities. Obviously there's, we're, we're teaching these same principles, but, but I have to let God, you know, I have to let God make that person um, into what he wants them to be. And, it's, and, and yeah, I think it's the same thing when it comes to our kids. And that's like the, on one hand, the scariest thing from a human perspective that I have to take my hands off and I have to accept the fact that I don't get to, I don't get to determine the outcome. I don't get to pick what this ends up like for my kids. Yeah. Um, what their life ends up like. I don't get to pick that. Well, I think you made but a then on the other hand. Oh, well, go ahead. No, I was well, on the other hand, then because I'm convinced that God is a loving and good father, mm-hmm. um, that I can trust my kids in his hands. Yep. And so that compels me to pray, but it, it does give me peace um, at the end of the day because I'm, I'm confident that God is at work in my kids' lives. That's awesome. Yeah, I was just, just going to say that um, you made a very important point, and it wasn't like, you know, you, um, and I love the approach because you, you said something very specific that I thought was helpful. You were answering the question, how does God relate to me? And I think that goes with every relationship, and that's the key, and really what you're talking about is the gospel mm-hmm. there, and, and so it's kind of like you look for all the parenting verses in the Bible or all the marriage verses, <laughs> and uh, you try to shape your kid, and you realize there's only like five verses, two verses. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. well, the whole Bible actually tells you how to parent your kid. Like the whole, like the 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 the, 
first three chapters of Ephesians are just as important as the last three chapters mm. for parenting, you know? Yeah. Um, because you're understanding how God actually relates to us as sinners. And then you realize, yeah. oh, I got to do the same thing with my kids. Gee, you just stole my observation of what Paul said. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's it. Because yeah. it was, you know, in our pre-discussion, we talked about maybe about a little bit of discussing how you minister the heart. But but interestingly, Paul, you brought that up. And I really do. Th- I really do. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with parenting and marriage books. And it's, it's because of this, this issue right here, like Paul, what you're saying and Gina, your observation on this, you know, and then like, obviously I'm agreeing with your observation too, that, uh, I, I really do think a lot of people assume the gospel and run into these like, well, you know, Ephesians five says, and yeah. you, you kind of almost got to be like, wait a minute, how does God deal with me a sinner? My kid's a sinner what did I just learn from God about the way he deals with me with how I should deal with him? And it's amazing because then you have to kind of go, Oh, I need to be forbearing because my kid's going to be blind in his sin Two, He's five years old. So he's going to act like a five-year-old. Um, so he's going to be inconsistent. Okay. That means I need to be more patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got to, I've got to point them to, to there's rest in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah while having the same character that God has, right? It's easier for parents because when they're your kids, it's easier to initiate love for your kids. Um, where that gets hard is in ministry when you're having to work with somebody that um, is just hard to get along with. Yeah, That's when that gets difficult. I think what, what people are looking for in, in, in those parenting books is really a how-to. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's where you get into trouble because it, the the how-to method is really a rule-based method. It's legalism. Yeah, if you follow these rules, hey, you're not supposed to say this word, that word by the way. Oh yeah, we, yeah, yeah, I know. I said <laughs> I kidding. didn't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, it's it's rule-based in the sense that if I follow these rules, it's going to end up right. Um and that's not the case, and I think that's what Paul has been pointing out. Um you're not really sure actually. Yeah. You're just trying to be faithful with who God is and what he has said for us to do, which is have faith in him and, and trust the process and, 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 um, you know, communicating his character with word and deed, um, teaching uh, obviously the, the, the truth, um, and being consistent with like, with, with love and grace, uh, that that's more powerful, I think, um, than a how to book. Yeah. You know, I think it's so much about what, happens in our heart because that's really you know whether it's parenting whatever it is right i this is one of the things you asked somewhere back in the discussion you mentioned the psalms um and uh and i did i did back in like 2015 to 2021 right at the end of 2020 i finished the psalms i preached all 150 psalms but as i was doing that i remember distinctly one particular psalm um, and one verse that really was transformative for me, in the, and it was in this regard, because it's in Psalm 16, where David says uh, to, to the Lord, he says, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Um, and what I when I read that and really studied it and began to really think about that, just to preach it, but then it, of course, began to change me was I began to realize that my biggest problem was that I didn't think that God was a good enough inheritance. Mm. 
right? I didn't think that God was enough for me. I, I felt like I needed more. And at the time, this is a number of years ago, but I remember at the time I was, I was struggling really with, um, and maybe I shouldn't say this because I, I don't know if my wife will listen to this at some point, but um, I'm not sure if I've ever even really told her this, but I was struggling, really struggling with um, just dissatisfaction in our relationship. And I don't mean I was like looking to leave or anything like that, but just I was struggling feeling like our relationship and our marriage wasn't really, wasn't really meeting my needs, wasn't really fulfilling what I thought I needed. And this verse really challenged me because I began to say, okay, is it, can I really say I have a good inheritance because I have the Lord? Because that's what David says. You are the portion of my inheritance. I have a good inheritance. And so I, I really began to pray this verse back to the Lord. Every morning I'd get up and get in the shower and I'd pray this verse. And I would say, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and I have a good inheritance. And I really, I really began to pray that on a regular basis, um, and and then you know ask God to help me to, to to believe it and live it, but also just to to say it because I knew it was true, and I have to say this is the truth. And it again, just getting my my really realizing that the issue was a hard issue with me. It wasn't with anything external to me, right? It wasn't that my wife needed to. I didn't need my wife to be or do anything different than who she was, but I needed to to learn to love God and to be satisfied with him. Yep. And so it was a heart issue, it, you know, and so it didn't have anything to do with external circumstances. It had everything to do with my heart. And so for me, that was in our marriage. That was a, a, a very, for me, it was a turning point in some ways in our relationship because I look at that and I realize that, that God really helped me to, embrace him in the context of my marriage and say, you know what? I don't need my wife to be anything for me because I have God. Right. So she's free to be who God made her to be. And she doesn't have to conform to me or fit some image that I have of her. No, she can be who God, who God desires her to be. Um, at the end of the day, I have the Lord and therefore I have enough wow. and I can be satisfied with that. And, and I've, I've had to say that with my kids, and I've had, to, I've had to learn to pray that prayer with respect to my kids as well, um, especially as they've grown older, because they get more independent, and I lose control, or at least the, the appearance of control that I thought I had with them. And so I had to really learn to pray that with them as well and say, you know, Lord, it, it, it's, it's not a question of whether my kids satisfy me, whether my kids do what I want them to do, whether my kids become what I want them to become or fulfill my dreams for them. What it is, is God, you, you're enough for me. And I have to trust that, you know, mm. I have to trust them with you in that sense. I have to trust that, that what you're doing in them is, is good. And uh, so that, that again, just that whole approach of kind of taking my hands off of the control of these relationships, because I'm realizing that, that these are all heart issues. And I have to get my heart, I have to be satisfied with the Lord. I have to come and, and be in a place where I'm, I'm loving and embracing him for who he is and accepting what he's given me and what he's doing in my life um, has been helpful to me with respect to those relationships. Right. For it, sure. It's interesting because, you know, um, what you want, what you said is, is not, that's not a Paul problem. I think, I think most people I would know kind of um, in our age, have gone through exactly what you've just gone through 
um, me included, right? Where, where there's things about your spouse that you're not happy about. Um, and, and I, I've started saying this, there, there comes a point in a man's life who a believer man's life where he, where he realizes, all right, I'm going to take my hands off this, this perception of control because one, I'm really not in control. Um, and it's that Ecclesiastes God is in heaven. I am not. And I'm just going to kind of realize like, actually, if my wife were what I would want her, what I think she should be, I would still be as miserable and discontent as I am right now. Right. And, and actually God knew what he was doing Mm -hmm. in not giving me these things. Uh, you know, and, and again, so it's almost, and it's almost like the, the, the parent teen relationships that I've seen that are really sour and bad. Um, and, and I mean, you and I, all of us at this table probably know stories of, of even elders who, um, were disqualified from being an elder because of their parent child relationship. And one of those factors, honestly, in a lot of those situations that I've seen is the parent tried to actually maintain control. If, you know, going from the teenager into the early 20 years and it exasperated so much that the kid just walked out on him and it wants nothing to do with the parent anymore. And again, the, the fear of that isn't why I would want to motivate somebody to take their hands off, off the control thing. But it, you actually nailed it on the head, right? Like actually realizing, wait a minute, God, you actually love, like you did right with my family. You, you did right with their personalities, with like, you know what? Because each house has, like, you probably have a weird kid. Gino has a weird kid. I've got one. Like, uh, I have several, got actually. Five of them. I have five, right. too, by the way, Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, the struggle yeah. is real. Yeah, I mean, but you know what I mean? Like, like there's one that kind of marches to their own tune. Mm-hmm. You know, right, and, and the, right. the others can kind of okay. like march with you a little bit, even if they're weird too. Right. And so realizing even like, yeah. Hey, the Lord knew what he was doing, giving us this kid and, and not trying to like overly control that. And again, not saying don't influence don't, but I, but I think that's what I appreciate about what you're saying is, is I think one, I don't think it's a you, I think all of us go through that and realizing Lord, I, I'm actually making life more difficult by trying to be in control. Let me just rest in you. Trust you are sovereign over this and be thankful that you are my portion mm. and that, yeah. that I have eternal life with you and, and I have rest, you know? And so that's, yeah, that's I, so good. Um, just, yeah, I think that, that if people really, whoever's listening, um, I hope that you caught that. That's that's so freeing because yes. the goal is never control. Actually, you, the goal is is love, and love is actually a lot of influence and and really free. There, there's there's love and freedom, giving people freedom, even to make mistakes. Sometimes it's okay. Um, yeah, and I think that's the thing. I mean, again, that's the there's that. I I, I certainly feel the tendency or the the temptation to fear. Because mm-hmm. I'm human, and I think about my kids, and I've seen, I, I've seen, you know, listen, I, I don't because I'm not controlling my kids, and because I can't get the out, I can't guarantee an outcome. It means that there's a there's a, a a distinct possibility, a non-zero possibility that my kids, you know, that, that one or more of my kids may end up, you know, not doing right and not living for the Lord and making really bad decisions and getting themselves in a mess and, and whatever. And 
those kind of things can, can happen. And I know that. So humanly speaking, I've got plenty of reasons to fear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because, but again, that's where I just, I, I have to come back to the Lord and I have to just trust that. I, and I, and I look back, it's funny because I look back at myself and I look at my life growing up and I look at the choices that I made, you know, when I was a teenager, I look back at some of the really foolish things that I did and some of the sinful things that I did and, and, the, and the, the, the ways that I, I really kind of tried to run away from what God was doing in my life. And, and I think, you know, yet God, God didn't abandon me. He did work in me through those things. And, and then I, my, my wife has a, you know, I, I won't share her testimony, but she's, she would say the same thing that, you know, is she looking back and saying, well, you know, I can see the things that, that, that I did back then. And I'm thinking, man, why did I, you know, I, I wasn't living for the Lord. I wasn't doing what was right, but God worked and God was faithful to me. And I know then from my own, just from those experiences alone. And then of course, in addition to the, the clear teaching of scripture that God is just as faithful to my kids. And he's still just as he's working just as much in their lives as he is mine. And so that it really does, really does bring me to that point of trusting him when I want to be afraid. Um, and so, you know, regularly when I pray for them, I, I, I pray that God would capture their hearts. I pray that they would, that, that, that he would draw them to himself in love and that they would, would love him with all that they have and that they would serve him and they would use their gifts because I look at my kids and they're, they're amazingly talented and they're amazing gifts and they each one in their own unique way. And I, you know, even this morning I was sitting out there and sitting out there in the woods doing some hunting this morning and I'm praying for my kids as I was sitting there, uh, in the cold and, and, uh, just praying through, you know, and thinking through each one of the kids and praying specifically that God would, would, would become the center of their life and that they would, that they would give themselves wholly and they would, use their gifts, you know, and use what they, what God has given and they would use it for him. Um, but again, I, that prayer to me is inspired by the fact that I, I know I can't make those things happen, but I know that he, this is his desire as well, because it's just what church says. And so I have a confidence that God is working in them for that good purpose. Um, and so it does, it, it's freeing. Because otherwise it'd be it'd be fearful. Otherwise, I, I would just have to be terrified all the time. Because I know my own propensity for sin is great, and it, and it and that alone, you know. And then I see it in my kids, and and that scares me. But God gives me peace and, and comfort in that, and that's that's, that's the only way I could do it. Amen. Yeah, so that's great. I I think that's you know, um, in my head. I think it's not pastoral ministry that led us to this, you know, um, because I think, you know, sometimes people hear us and go, yeah, I mean, but that's why you're a pastor and we're not. And, and I, I would just want to encourage anybody to say like, Hey, uh, there's a sense in which, right. Um, this is, I think the way the gospel and the Holy spirit leads us people, uh, to trust God's sovereignty over relationships, to trust God's, you know, sovereignty over people, um, right. Like, you know, God formed our kids. He fashioned our kids. He formed other human beings. He fashioned them. Uh, he died in their place. You know, um, I know that can be a contentious line from some people, but 
I have no problem saying God, God died for human beings. Um, not everyone's going to believe, uh, but, but you know, there is a sense in which God does love the world. And so it's actually freeing. And I think Ecclesiastes helped me understand that God is in heaven. You are not, Hey, your lane is to love and, and try to influence people for the gospel. And, you know, and, and trust the Lord who is, who just continues to save all of his children. Um, you know, and, and I, I believe God will save our kids, all of our kids. And, and I may be wrong, but mm-hmm. I think love believes yeah. the best on that. And, um, I think, right. There's a part of me that's, that says, man, I always feel like I have to have hope for every human being, regardless of who they are, what they've done, and maybe even what I've experienced with them. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, I think, yeah, I, I love that because I think that, um, that you, you asked before what, how would my pastoral counsel to parents change now as opposed to years ago? And the more that we talk about it, the more I think that, that I look back and think, well, what would I do differently with my kids from the beginning? Well, I would spend more time in prayer yep. for them, that God would shape their hearts. Um, and I would spend less time trying to shape them myself. Yeah. Um, because that's, I, I really, I look back and I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably my greatest failing in that is that I, I had a tendency to think, Hey, when, cause when your kids are little, you can control so much of their world. Yep. Um, that you get this, you get this, uh, illusion that you actually control them. And the truth is you don't, you, you don't control their heart at all. Um, and so you're, you're, you're forced as they get older, that becomes very clear because they become more independent. They, they begin to do things on their own. But even when they're, when they're first born, they're that way. You, you, you really don't have control of their heart. And so if I, yeah, if I were to go back and do that again, that's, that would certainly be a different emphasis that I would see it. I see a lot more now because I, I've, I've learned more. God has shown me that I don't have the control. Um, Here's another thing, though, too, I, and I love about this. I, I love about the church, right? God and his wisdom has given us the church, and I lean on the church a lot with my kids, uh, for my kids. And people in the church maybe don't realize this, but um, I absolutely love when people in the church have relationships with my kids, when adults and other you know, because there are a number of folks here that over the years have had direct um, impact on my children, and I do everything I can to set those kind of situations up and then get out of the way because I'm convinced that, that uh, sometimes other people are going to be able to reach my kids in things that I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just convinced that God is, is working through the church. And so um, I absolutely, I love it when I see people in the church um, and they, and I see them building relationships with my kids because so that's like part of my parenting strategy is set my kids up to have relationships with, with mature Christian adults in the church and then get out of the way and, and let that relationship be, um, you know, what God designed it to be within the church. Absolutely. You stole my heart there. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> no, I think um, I, the doctrine of, of the Holy Spirit, um, the fact that he's gifted each member of the church, well, if, he, if that's true, then why wouldn't we want our kids amongst the, the, the body of believers? Um, they are, they're gifted to serve our kids. 
So we, we want every opportunity for them to partake in that gift. Um, yeah. I can't, I'm, I'm not gifted enough, right. To, to, uh, influence my kid in every positive way. They, they actually need the church. They need the church badly. And so, yeah, I do everything yeah. I can to, to get my kids, uh, they, they rub, you know, as much as possible, possible rub shoulders with the people of the church, get to know them, be friends with them. And, um, yeah, it's great. It's great to know that. I mean, it's great to know that they know the, 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 the people's names and, you know, mm. they can, they can have fun with them and enjoy them and, um, it can be part of their actual my kids lives. Don't realize, my kids don't realize that it's not normal for, uh, you know, a 13 or a 15 or 16 year old to stand and have a face to face conversation with an adult, mm. um, and look them in the eye and just talk to them. Like my kids don't know that that's not normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people are shocked by that all the time. But I, I just tell them when I, whenever anybody expresses shock at that, I just say, well, that's cause that's what they do at the church because mm-hmm. We just incorporate them into what we do as a body. And so they, they're they just as much a part of things here as everybody else, and they interact with adults all the time. And so, yeah, it's, but, I, but I, like I said, I love that. Our son, our oldest son, when he was, I, I want to say maybe he was like nine, maybe around nine years old or something, he was giving my wife a lot of problems on Sunday morning because I would come over early on Sunday morning, I'd want to be in my office. I'd want to have my Bible. I'd want to have prayer. I want to be here, you know, preparing for ministry. And then she'd be at home with the kids trying to get them all ready for church. And, um, and it worked generally until he started giving her trouble. He was just being, you know, I don't know, a nine year old kid or whatever. And, um, and so she kind of was like, all right, well, he, you know, we, we decided that for his punishment, um, was he had to come with me. <laughs> so he had to come to church with me and he had to hang out because she needed to be able to get ready for church and not have the other kids and you know, not have him be in a pain. And so, um, you know, he started spending some time with me, but, it, but then what happened was, um, there was a lady that would come to the church who, an older lady, elderly lady who would, who would come and, you know, she'd make coffee and, and set goodies out for people to come to, to snack on and fellowship. And he started, he started seeing her every Sunday. He'd go down to the kitchen and he'd sit there with her and make coffee and he'd help her get the, you know, whatever, cup, whatever she was, whatever she was putting on that day, he'd help her get it ready. And over the course of years, the two of them have developed a really, a really neat bond. So, you know, my teenage son will, you know, go and, and spend time and hang out with this 80 some year old, I don't want to say how many years old, but 80 some year old lady um, who he just loves and he just become really good friends with. And she has had a really good influence on him. Mm. Um, and that's just been one of those relationships we just need to see because I'm, and I'm looking at it going, I, you know, it kind of started because he was in trouble, but it wasn't, you know, it was just, it, it, it was, it was exactly what I'm hoping will happen with my kids is that people in the church will develop relationships with them and will see my kids as, as disciples who need to be, we need to be led. We need to be, you know, built up because you know, as my kids have professed faith in Christ, and I want the church people to come alongside them and disciple them, like we are, like we're we're called to do with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so, from a parenting standpoint, that's kind of part of my strategy is um, get out of the way if I can and let somebody else in, um, mm-hmm. you know, by having an influence on my kid. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point. Um, you know, I've done enough counseling with people. And, and probably again, you two 
will have similar stories, right? Where um, somebody will talk about a disagreement with family members and, you know, it's common where somebody will kind of say, yeah, prophet's not welcome in his hometown. Right. And, and always in the context of it's a struggle to evangelize my own family. And even, you know, even we who are believers, you know, my kids' parents are believers, just like your kids' parents are believers, and right, just like Gino's kids, same thing. But the reality is, you know, like because you live together, there's still that side to where everyone kind of sees, right? If you want to, you can easily dwell on the sinful side of every person in the fa- in the house, right? Because none of us are glorified, yeah. so there's our, you know, there's still sinfulness that we do in our home. And what's interesting is right. That dynamic almost makes ministering to family members more difficult, you know, because history, uh, you know, all these different variables, whereas it's often easier. And that's why I think a lot of people will say, well, yeah, prophet's not welcome in his hometown. And they'll use that mm-hmm. in application to it's hard to minister to your family. But then as parents, sometimes they try to, to kind of like box out everybody in the church Mm-hmm. So that they're the only voice of influence, not realizing that actually some of the best things to do is to do what you're saying, Paul, let your, let your kids freely roam about the church. And you, yeah. you know what I mean by that? And engage other people and let those other people share the gospel with them and have those conversations about dating and, and other things, yeah. right? Like let your kids talk to other people about some of these serious issues in life. And then when they come back to you and, you know, hopefully they're kind of be like, man, okay my parents are weird, but there's 45 other weird people in this church too. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. And, Cause Hey, I don't, I think that's, um, you know, prideful parenting is, it would be concerned about, well, who taught them that? Whereas, you know, th- there's a sense in which one, mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge, we don't, we don't teach them what they know that the spirit teaches them everything mm-hmm. about, especially about the gospel. Right. And so in that sense, like, why am I concerned about who they learned it from? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, it's such a good, such a good point. It, we, you know, it's so funny, like Hillary's blasted for her community statement. It takes a community, but the funny part is that the Bible actually does kind of say it does take a community, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so obviously she's not building that from a biblical foundation, but, yeah. um, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. the broken clock still runs right. twice a day. Yeah. So, yeah. And nobody, and nobody is, I mean, I'm not saying, and you guys aren't saying that these church relationships supplant or replace. Okay. You, you mentioned have a conversation with kid about dating. Yeah. I, I, I hope that that does happen, but it better also happen at home too. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? I've got a responsibility there too. And we have a responsibility to have these conversations with our kids and talk to them about these things but I want them to be hearing it from other people too. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a, and so yeah, there's no room for some sort of like jealousy about, you know, about, well, I get to be the one that deal. No, it's like, but we're hopefully the people in the church are reinforcing the same things we're talking about at home because we're, we're just trying to bring God's word to bear on in the lives of our kids. And, um, you know, that's, that's the hope. So yeah, the people in the church are having a conversation with my kids about something spiritual. Well, then that's a conversation that should just be a continuation of what's already going on, um, in my relationship with the kids. Yeah. It's not, it's not either or it's both. And yep. 
because right. obviously right. we all we all know the stories too of the parents that expect the church to have those hard conversations while they themselves abrogate that role and it's like well that's that's right. the right that's the extreme of where it's like oh i'll just put them in youth group and they'll raise they'll disciple my kids for me yeah like no right the youth pastor will be will, will, yeah we'll, we'll yeah. straighten them out yeah. yeah that doesn't work see right. i grew up in that culture yeah i grew up in the culture yeah. where 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 people met in college or however they met they get married they had kids and then they decide, oh, my kids need some kind of ethical training. So they pour back into the church. And when I left um, the city I grew up in and, and came to seminary, uh, children's church was was the basically the buzzword. And, you know, all those churches had multi-million dollar children's facilities, children's programs. I mean, it was competitive. You know, it was Burger King versus... Um, Who's Burger King compete with? Wendy's? Donald's? I don't know. I mean, Donald's. <laughs> the King? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was like the habit in and out, right? Like right, it was, right. I mean, yeah. yeah, it was this competition between between all these churches, but it was, and again, I, I know that's a sweeping statement and a broad generalization because there are good people there too. Um, but but it, it it was definitely noticeable, right, that all the churches were realizing Hey, what's what's causing churches to grow? And it was noticeable. Children's programs and the amount of money spent on children almost had a one to one corollary effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so people were going that's back true. for the ethical reasons. Yeah. And that's where, again, you know, enough authors have written about this too. Even though I'm not on board with the family integrated faith movement, um, you know, I know that they they bring this up as well. And so there, there's a lot of things I agree with the family integrated faith movement on. I'm just not mm-hmm. um, ready to organize my ecclesiology the way they do. Right. right. You know, but there's a, right. there's a lot of things I can agree with them in principle on like, yes, let your, get your kids involved in the church. Let them rub shoulders with other people. Let them go to an adult Bible study. Like it's not, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. why, why make it adults only? Just why don't we just call it Bible study and let any let anybody come to a Bible study? You know? yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, I know. It's funny Titus because too. when we came when we came to the church here, um, you know, this is a small church, so the whole like, um, you know, I, I'm not. You, you're talking about multi million dollar any anything. There isn't multi million dollar anything in my orbit. Okay, <laughs> so everything small churches. Okay, but uh, but but even like here, we came here and our church had a little children's church ministry. Okay. And, uh, and, and I, we, we put a stop to it pretty quickly after we came, um, for, for various reasons, but, um, but largely because, um, I, I was looking for somebody who would take a passionate interest in training the children. Um, and, and we just didn't have that. We didn't have a lot of people and we were very small. And I said, okay, well, then we're just not going to do that. And we'll just let the kids be with us. And we'll just let the kids be a part of what we're doing. So it's not the family integrated movement. Like I, I get that. Like I don't have that sort of philosophical um, approach to this, but this is the way to do it. But because the, because of the issue is I, I don't want to just have somebody, this is not a program that we're going to run. This is not a gimmick that we're going to do, mm-hmm. right? These children are part are like, we're going to just, we're going to do with them what we, what we want to do with everybody else, which is we're going to make them disciples. And, and we're going to teach them to obey all the things that Christ commanded. And so to do that, well, 
if we don't have somebody who's really gifted and really, really focused on and really um, passionate about that kind of training for children, we're not going to have a separate thing for kids for them. So for, for all, really for about the last 10 years at least, our kids have all just been with us in church. We have our church service. Um, we do have a, we do have Sunday school classes that we do for the kids, um, for the, for the younger kids when we have Sunday school, but in our regular gatherings for church, we don't have anything separate. For them. They're just a part of it with the adults. And, um, it's definitely been an adjustment when we have people come who aren't used to that, um, because they come in from these other bigger churches that have lots of kids programs, or they even come from other churches that are similar to ours. That just nevertheless, that's the tradition. We have a children's church, we have children's things, we get the children, we get the kids kind of out of the service. But so it's been an adjustment, and uh, some families just don't seem to want to do that, so they come and visit, and then they don't stick around. But um, you know, we've just seen the product of that has been really beneficial, and the families that have come and are a part of our church now um, really seem to enjoy it because their kids are, are learning um, right alongside their parents. And, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting and learning to listen to a sermon. They're sitting and learning to sing with the adults and participate in the service. Um, and I, I think that's, again, that's, that's really not, it's not like a, like I said, it's not a, um, it's not our ecclesiology that we have to do this, but it's more of just, we, we look at this and went, well, we're, you know, what is our goal? Our priority is making disciples. And so I'm not going to just stick I'm not going to stick the kids in some other room and say, well, let's just put a one body in there who's going to open up a Bible storybook and tell them a Bible story that's not really going to impact their heart at all um, so that the adults can have a quiet, you know, focused time together. No, we want the kids to be disciples. So that means they've got to be a part of things too. Um, and that's that's really kind of driven that for us. And so we've never gone back. We've thought about it over the years, but um, still, I just, it hasn't, hasn't been something that's come about because, we just have the kids with us and it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's great. I think a lot of overlap with us and, and even interesting in the way you made that decision. Cause something we try to advocate a lot to our people is you don't, you don't try to do something in the church that you don't have gifted people to do, mm-hmm. if, you know, and they have to be qualified to lead it. And I, yeah. I think that's those, those are layers that um, I don't know that everybody thinks through and I get it right. Like, um, you know, you see somebody in the church, like they're great with kids. Why can't they lead it? And you're like, well, you know, you can't publicly say, Hey, they are great with kids, but there, there are some, you know, the Bible does have some standards for what it takes to be a qualified leader, you know? And so that that's why I think decisions in, in ministry, uh, in terms of kind of programs, which we're not really a program driven church, but, um, you know, that's, that's why those things aren't just like, Hey, if you build it, they will come like, yes, you can do that. Uh, but I, but I also think it's better for the soul of your kids to kind of say, wait a minute, do we have gifted qualified people who can serve our kids in this way? And, and you could take kids out, right. Mm-hmm. And you could, you know, I mean, cause I don't know about you, Paul, every now and then I get a, somebody visits the church and you're like, oh, I'm moving here from, you know, West Virginia and country roads, taking me home to Vegas. And, uh, you know, I'm looking to uh, continue my ministry and do a Bible study 
and I think your church would be perfect. And I'm just kind of like, this is not the church for you. Like you're not going to be coming in here teaching a Bible study at all with that attitude. Um, You know what I mean? And it's, it's like, you probably are a good teacher, but this is kind of like, like you're showing no, you know what I mean? There, there's a hundred flags there. Uh, And, and you know, some of our people get it and they're, they're actually like thankful that we are slower to put people in the teaching role. Uh, you know, but people that come from backgrounds with, with kind of this more program driven sign up and, and if you sign up, you can do it. I think they kind of sometimes struggle with that because they're like, well, wait a minute, but I want to lead something. And it's like, no, we're not, we're not saying this is not at all a commentary or in a negative way on your life. We're just saying there's gotta be some kind of measurement and we need to make sure that, that you're, that, that, that you do fit in with the church here and that, that that when we put your name on something that you are a leader that, you know, that we can lay hands on you in a way that says, Hey, this protects you, you know, Mm -hmm. as you're, as you're doing these ministries. And if you, you know, if the person's not gifted and they're not qualified to do something, then it's always been my take. Then you don't have that, Mm -hmm. you know, because every now and some evil, you'd be like, well, where's your homeless ministry? Well, we don't, one, we don't have a building. So two, we don't really, even have a place to store <laughs> food for homeless people. And three, right. we don't have the time, energy or resources to be redirected into this ministry. So it seems like God's telling us not right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a yeah. lot of homeless people in Vegas, but yeah. 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 That yeah. There were a lot of them in, yeah. in Mexico in there too, but yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad that approach works, works out for you guys. I, I think in the end, cause we do have a children's program and, my philosophy, I, I, I happen to be over it. My philosophy for all the those who who help us in those teams is is the number one thing you can do for them because you're not going to change them. You're not going to change any kid overnight. Is you are you are called to love them as 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 these are children. Uh, obviously, teach them in any capacity that they're able to understand, but just love them and build a relationship with them. Just kind of like that that older lady at your church with with your son, um, because yeah. I want my kids to look back and like, I know that person. I, I love that person. I love her influence in my life or his influence in my life. And, and really that was kind of our approach for, for children's ministries. Cause I mean, you know, we're just coming alongside parents and helping them make yeah. disciples. Well, and I think, and that's the difference, right? Cause nobody's, if somebody's listening and being like, Paul's doing it right. Mm-hmm. Gino's doing it wrong. Like, <laughs> like, no, that's like that. That's my whole point. Like, no. When you listen to, but when, when you understand the differences between the churches, it, it could, there's, there's layers of variables there. Right. Like you said early on, you didn't really have anybody that could do this. And, and it's, it's also like, it's okay. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's one of the big things is just saying, Hey, it's okay for this church, for this body of believers at this particular time to look like this, to have this ministry or not. And we don't have to follow somebody else's pattern. You know, I, this is why I love the scriptures. When you read through the, the, the New Testament um, and you see the ecclesiology that is, that is taught, you realize there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things the New Testament doesn't talk about and doesn't specifically address, which means we have a lot of, a lot of areas we can, we can use biblical wisdom and we can make a decision about what really needs to happen in our context at our time. And then we can 
but, but we can do that and we can all be biblically faithful at the same time. Well, we may make different decisions about a particular ministry or a particular way of doing a ministry um, in our location and, in, and even, in, again, in a, in a particular life stage of the church because everything is changing and, and sometimes what we do now, um, we may do something right now that works well and then in a couple of years it may not work so well. Or we may say no to something right now, but then in a few years that, that may be a good decision for us to make and, and something that God does lead us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need, to, we need to have a lot more of a willingness to, to look at other people and say, well, you just be faithful where you're at with what you've got. And yeah, there's no, there's absolutely no reason to say that one is right and the other is wrong. If we're, mm-hmm. if we're both following the principles of scripture and we're applying them in our own circumstances with our own people that God has brought to, to this church, um, this is his church and he, he, he's going to give us, equip us with the people to do the ministry he wants us to do. Amen. Yeah. That's yeah. great. I think in the I mean ultimately it's not the program anyway that disciples the people of the right. kids it's or the or the or the people of the church it's it's people that are discipling people and if they understand that's their job as a member and it doesn't matter what program you have everyone is doing discipling yep uh, everyone's partaking in in the work of ministry and that's what we want yeah so yeah if you're yeah uh, this is the danger of three pastors. It's like, oh, I got uh, yeah, there's, there's so many more things to throw in here. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I love it because you know when you see other adults come up and talk to you, and you know they just treated your kid like a human being. Mm-hmm. Like you just sit there and you go, like that. That goes a long way. And even even if your kid, you know, doesn't accept the gospel. I know using the word accept is not always popular either. Um, you know, while they're in high school or before high school or before they leave the house, you have to kind of trust the Lord too, that, that you gave your kid a testimony of the goodness of God, of the grace of God and the truth of God. And you just don't know, right? They, they may go, they may go become a prodigal for 20 years and in their forties go, you know what? The Lord is good. And, and realize the vanity of their life. And uh, there's, a, there's a famous tattoo artist who recently got baptized, and I was listening to her interview, and uh, she, she said, really, you saw my baptism, but, but my journey there began three or four years earlier. And that's what most people don't see is what was going on. But what's interesting is you find out she, ra- she was raised under, uh, her parents were missionaries. Oh, and so you sit there and you, you see, like, if you know anything about her life, like there's a sense in which like, you know, some of her tattoos would have um, led people to call her a Satanist or to be a part of the occult, mm. even though she said those tattoos actually didn't represent that. Um, but, but when I saw the baptism, I saw her, sli- her, her sleeves on her arm had actually been blacked out in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like from afar, you know, I've already seen the the YouTube videos of like questioning our salvation. It's like, you know, <laughs> the the Lord knows if right and sure. but but blacking out tattoos is a pretty big move mm-hmm. um yeah. for for people because that like one, the finances and and the fact that you're about to turn your arm black from this beautiful artwork that you've had. You know what I mean? Like that's a pretty good indication that yeah. something's changed. And so you just never know, right? Like yeah, your kid may be, you know, I, I, you don't want this and I don't want this for anybody, right? Maybe a prodigal, mm-hmm. but, but even that testimony and like, Hey, you know what? 
I'm realizing there's vanity in the world. Who treated me like a real human being and actually showed me love and cared for my soul? It was God's people. You know what, Lord? You were right. There's no rest in my works. There's no rest in my pleasure. There's rest in your son. You know, and you just don't know when that testimony will come back to to speak back up to him again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And that's why you don't, you you know, that's why as as difficult as it is, uh, it's so important that we don't burn bridges with people, that we don't, uh, you know, give people the boot out the door and that kind of thing when, when, when they don't respond the way that we like them, whether that's our kids or somebody in the church or somebody in the community or whatever. And I mean, I, I can't say how many times God has, has shown me, the that he is working in somebody when I thought that it was, you know, that it wasn't going anywhere. And, you know, and God has done this over the years with my wife and I, just with people that we've had interactions with here in the community and, um, and, and, and different, different relationships. In fact, there's a young lady right now that, that um, has been kind of coming back and reestablishing a relationship with our family uh, that we had tried to minister to a couple of years ago and it didn't really seem to take and it didn't really seem to go anywhere. And, you know, all of a sudden the Lord kind of put her back in our life. And, you know, it just reminds us of the fact that we are, you know, God's on his own timetable working and it isn't, it isn't about us kind of deciding when this has to happen. So sometimes you're, you're trying to care for someone, you're trying to invest in them, you're trying to love them and show them the love of Christ and they don't want to receive it. And, but you're just patient with that and you, you, you know, and then sometimes down the road, then God brings them back into your life. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, there was more of an impact there than I thought. And that's been something that's happened to us recently, several times that God has kind of reinforced, Hey, this is why you don't write people off. This is why you don't throw your hands up and say, I'm done with, the, with this person because, uh, because God's still working and, and he does use that. He does use those loving expressions of grace. Uh, in people. And it, it does make a difference. Um, sometimes down the road. That's right. Yeah. Amen. Hey, Paul, I appreciate it, man. Uh, we probably better, uh, uh, probably better wrap this one up. So we'll have to have you on again, probably sooner, later. Yeah. Soon. Well, we'll end up say, talking. We could, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff we could talk about. Yeah. I could talk all day. Right. Well, see, and that, that's what I love, but this was good. See, it's so funny. I told you in the, in the pre-discussion, I was like, I can't tell you how many times we, we set out a pre-discussion and we never get there. I know. <laughs> we, right. we, we didn't even get the, the, the one question I was going to ask you is like, and so we'll, we'll maybe save it for the next one, right? How do I read the Psalms better okay. now that you've preached through them? So, um, yeah, sure. we'll get there. That's, that's a good, uh, teaser for the next one, but, but hopefully this has been helpful. Uh, it's been good to, to chat with you, Paul, uh, excellent observations. Um, obviously a lot of like-mindedness with you two on this. And, and I, I would even say like, you know, just a blessing to hear from another person, another part of the country and to see the same Holy spirit is, is leading people around the world in the same direction, coming to the same conclusions. And so, yeah, I really appreciate it. I know this will serve our people and um, we'll be praying for you, Paul. And if you need anything, you got friends in Vegas that uh, if you need to come out and vacation, uh, we don't, we don't tell people what happened here. So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, likewise. I mean, it's just been, you know, that's been um, so much, so much fun t- chatting with you guys, but also just, I've really enjoyed and appreciated uh, Jason, you know, getting to know you through just texting really back and forth for a while now. Yep. Um, it's been a real blessing to me. You've been a blessing to me personally. 
Um, thank you. And, uh, and, and both of you guys just through the podcast and just knowing that your church is praying uh, for us has been a big, has been a big, uh, a big blessing. So, uh, really, I love it. I love the fact that we can connect from, like I said, almost opposite sides of the country or different parts of the country. And yet, you know, God is at work, uh, here in Wisconsin and he's also working in Las Vegas. And I love it because Amen. I get to be a part of what God is doing. Amen, brother. All right. Well, let me, let me close the podcast out and then we'll say goodbye, uh, off the air. Fair enough. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks again. If there's any cries of outrage or shock or comments, please don't hesitate to reach out and let us know uh, anything we talked Absolutely. about that you'd like for us to talk more about. We'll happy to do so in the future. All right. Well, here we go. Thank you, Anthony. Mm-hmm.